Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. With Jesus, we are always fully loved, fully accepted, completely held, and always invited in. Lisa Turkhurst, reflecting on the acceptance that you can find in God. And you'll hear more from her on today's Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. Uh, There's one thing we want you to hear today, and I know this is true for Lisa as well. Um, God loves you. And uh, sometimes we lose that perspective because things aren't going right, relationships aren't going right, and we get lost in the weeds and we don't feel the love of God, even though it's consistent, persistent, ever-present. And we are going to talk about God's love for us today. Um, You may be in a place where you feel inadequate, you feel beaten down. Uh, You know what? We're here for you. We have a counseling staff who can help you sort through where you're at in your life and uh, maybe what the Lord is trying to say. Um, And it's available to you. Just give us a call, and we're going to give you those details in a while. Lisa, let's not hold back. You are an infamous blogger. (laughs) How about that, infamous? I mean, you have like 2 million, 3 million, 18 million. How many million women are following you today? A few. (laughs) No. I mean, it's a lot. It is. Why do you think uh, there's that attraction to your words and your... Um, expression of your faith? What is drawing particularly women to you? Great question. Um, You know, I think a big part of it is I'm very vulnerable with the brokenness of life. Just the reality is we're all broken people and uh, people can identify with someone's brokenness. So when I write from that perspective, Everybody can identify with hurts and failures and shortcomings and adequacies. Everybody can identify that. Not everybody can identify from your point of strength, you know. So I don't write from my point of strength. Um, I write from my point of failure, weakness, hurts, heartbreaks, and certainly with this book, writing from my own struggle with rejection. So if you want to know what I struggle with, you can look at the titles of my books. <laughs> well, this one is Uninvited, yes. which is not a warm title. What were are you expressing there? What are you trying to get across in uninvited? Well, I think in today's social media-driven world where so many of our relationships have some kind of presence on social media, I think a lot of us are walking around having looked at social media first thing in the morning and getting this feeling of being a little bit left out, a little bit lonely, a little bit less than. It seems like everybody's house is a little better decorated than yours. Everybody else's marriage is a little more romantic than yours. Everybody else's kids are more put together and successful than yours. And so it can sort of develop within us this feeling of extreme inadequacy, not something we talk about publicly, but something we certainly deal with privately. So the point of titling the book Uninvited is um, that's really the essence of what rejection is. It's what it feels like. It's what it feels like. And so, um, but here's the hope of the book is that when someone finishes reading Uninvited, I'm going to encourage them to get a black Sharpie marker and cross (laughs) out the U-N on the book title. So then they will understand that with Jesus, we are always fully loved, fully accepted, completely held, and 
always invited in. That's a great point. Uh, let me ask you this. Social media seems to be your forte. You're a speaker, an author, but social media, you're communicating every day with literally millions of people, and that's outstanding. I read something about the loneliness index. It came out a, a couple of months ago, but it said basically uh, the loneliness index has gone up 20% over the last couple of years. So even though we're more connected digitally, we have communication occurring, it seems people are m more lonely than they used to be. How come that's happening? Well, I think there's several reasons for that. But one thing is the ability to filter the hardship of life out of our social media. You know, think about so it this way. It's only the best stuff you it's see. It's only the best stuff from everybody <laughs> else's life that you see. And so when you start feeling like everybody else is more than and you are less than, you start to pull away from deep, heartfelt connections with other people. That creates loneliness. You know, you don't have to be alone to be lonely. My loneliest times sometimes are when I'm in a room full of people and everyone is talking, but there's some sense deep inside of me that I don't belong or that I'm not part of whatever club they're part of, or I'm, I don't have the same inside jokes everyone else. And the worst feeling to me is when you're alone in a crowded room. Well, you, in fact, there was a story in the book that I found funny, really. It's where you went to a dinner, a banquet, yes. and you ended up at a table by yourself. That yes. had to feel really weird. It, well, it's awkward. I mean, let's just... <laughs> Why were you by yourself at okay. a big table? Uh, that is such a great question. <laughs> uh, so what happened is I walked into the dinner and I was so excited because so it's a banquet. It's a banquet a full of leaders. So I fully expected to go, these are my people. Like I'm going to be able to sit. We're going to swap stories. We're going to talk heart to heart. We're going to share our challenges, our successes, our failures. Like this is going to be awesome. I crave time with people who are living the same kind of life as I am. So I was really excited about this banquet. I walked in and I walked to a table where a bunch of people I knew were sitting and there were name plates. So, you know, just place guards where everybody is supposed to sit where you're assigned. So I walked around that table and my name card wasn't there. I walked around another table, another table. And finally, in the back of the room, I finally found my name. Now that's awkward in and of itself. When you're walking around, you yeah, can't find- You spent find, a lot of time looking. Yes, where you're supposed to sit. So I sit down and I didn't recognize the other people who were assigned to my table. And I don't know what happened to them. It's just they didn't show up. And so the banquet starts and there I sit at a table meant for 10 people and I'm the only person. And I guess other people didn't really feel the freedom to get up and come and sit with me because we had assigned seats. Uh. And so there I sat at a table <laughs> all by myself. Uh. And so I had a choice to make when I was sitting there. And of course, I felt awkward. I felt, uh, you can just imagine like how you would feel, you know? Of course, I had a basket of 10 rolls. So I'm like, hi, <laughs> That was self. the happy side of that. That was the happy side. So, uh, that was the happy side. It's like, I don't have to share the rolls with anybody. Oh, and desserts were already laid out too. Oh, so perfect. it's like, but I, I really challenged myself. I said, okay, Lisa, you can sit here and try to fill this emptiness with all the extra rolls and desserts <laughs> and, and having a little pity party for yourself. Or you can decide to see this as a time where the Lord himself wants to be right here beside you. So it's your choice. You know, you can look at this as being set aside or you can choose to see it as God's opportunity to set you apart. Uh. 
And so it really wasn't about me surviving the banquet. It was about <laughs> me developing a mindset. Lisa, there are always going to be moments like this in your life, you know, and you have to make the choice yeah. to understand that God has your best interest in mind. Let me ask you this, because sometimes, um, and I don't mean to step on anybody's toes, but sometimes we can be overly sensitive. I mean, that could actually break somebody emotionally. Mm-hmm. They, You overplay it. In other words, nobody wants to come sit with me. Nobody wants to talk to me. Um, how does a person rise above that kind of negative self-talk and get into a better place where, you know, just relax. It's not It's not about you. (laughs) Well, first of all, I want to normalize the negative self-talk. We all do it. It, What does it sound like? Well, for me, I don't know what it sounds like in your head, but (laughs) in my head, it sounds like, of course, you know, of course you're alone. You're always alone. Of course, no one wants to talk to you because, you know, you you talk too much at the table or you're, uh, you know, this is just the theme of your life, Lisa. You know, your dad didn't want you. Uh, that boyfriend in college didn't want you. So why would it be any different today? Wow. You know, that's big stuff. It is big stuff. But I want to say it, maybe your dialogue is different, but everyone has this. Everyone has in the core of who they are. Uh, this feeling of, do I really measure up? Do I really have what it takes? All of us ask that question. Now, we're not typically in day-to-day conversation that vulnerable with one another, but we all have that. And so, first of all, I want to say, if you have that negative self-talk, don't beat yourself up for having it. It's normal. Mm -hmm. But here's how you overcome it, is making the decision that it's not your circumstances that determine whether or not you're worthy. Amen. It is the truth of who God says you are. And God says you are valuable. You are wanted. You know, before we were even here, just the very thought of us made God explode with extreme joy and say, yes, the thought of Jim Daly, that's a very good thought. (laughs) That doesn't feel comfortable, actually. So he allowed you to be here out of the millions of combinations of all the cells that had to come together to create you. God made sure that he formed you, the very Mm. thought of you made his heart explode with joy. And so, you know, not to over-spiritualize it, but but I have to say to myself, instead of looking at this moment as something to feed that negative self-talk, I've got to look at this moment as my opportunity to bring the fullness of God into the space that I'm walking in. So that night I had a choice. I could sit there and say, woe is me, no one wants me, or I could say, you know what? There are about 99% of other people here, whether they're seated alone or seated at a table with other people who also have these same struggles. Mm. So I'm going to walk into this room and I'm going to bring the love of God with me. I'm going to bring the acceptance. I'm going to look around the room. I'm going to find somebody who I discern needs an encouraging word. I'm going to get my butt up off my chair and I'm going to walk over to that person, even if they're at a table with 10 people. I'm going to walk up to them and I'm going to go, you know what? I was just sitting here and I was looking around the room, had some extra time to really focus on other people. And I noticed you. And I just want huh. to say, I don't know what you're going through right now, but yeah. God made sure to send a message from me to you to say, he loves you. He's crazy about you. You know, that's so good because when I've done that, um, it makes me feel better too. It Just does. noticing others. It is the love of God in our heart. 
So often, though, we suppress it with more of our fleshly attitude of being down in the dumps. Another funny story you had, which I totally related to, was when you left your briefcase or a suitcase outside a car and you started just beating yourself up. I think I had that exact same conversation to myself, but describe it. So I had been speaking at a conference, and uh, it was one where when the car pulled up to take me to the airport, there was lots of chaos. And so I wasn't paying attention to the details. And I have to really focus on the details or else, I'm not kidding, like I could leave my head behind. Thank goodness it's attached to my body, right? (laughs) So I'm not real good, but I really have to pay attention. Well, I was either on my cell phone or I was in a conversation with someone. I'm not sure why I was distracted, but I hopped in the car and I assumed that the driver had put my luggage in the back of my car. And I shouldn't have made that assumption. I should have checked, but I didn't. So we get all the way, 30 minutes away from the venue where I was at. We pull up. I hop out. I ask him to pop the back trunk. And he says, why? And I said, oh, I, I got to get my luggage out. And he was like, there's no luggage <laughs> in the back. And you're so like, there what? I'm at the airport. <laughs> And I have no luggage. And so I quickly call someone on my cell phone that was still at the venue. Can you please send someone over here to get my luggage? But I recognized that my timing was very short. So there was a great chance I was going to miss my flight if they didn't really go fast and get my luggage there quickly. So I'm standing on the sidewalk outside of the airport. And I'm speaking to myself. And I'm just saying. Out loud. Out loud. I'm like, oh, Lisa, you're such an idiot. You know, why don't you pay attention? I mean, you're (laughs) always doing stuff like this. So I'm saying all of this. And all of a sudden, one of the guys who's working at the outside check-in counter for an airline, he walks up to me and he puts his hand up and he says, absolutely not. And it shocked me so much. A stranger. A stranger. He said, absolutely not. I said, excuse me? He said, absolutely not. I will not allow you to talk about yourself in that way. Not in my presence. Not in my presence. That was like a God figure. I thought, are you an angel? And then he said a cuss word. And I thought, (laughs) (laughs) okay, he's probably not an angel or it would be my luck. I'd have a cussing angel. (laughs) But he had a good heart. He was trying to say to you, And you know, it really wasn't the luggage guy at the airport that was saying those words to me. Mm. It was really, I feel like, a message from God himself saying, Lisa, not in my presence will you talk about yourself this way. Mm. You see, every day we have a choice. We can bring the fullness of our self, which is insecurities, and we can let our insecurities be the first thing that walks into any situation. Or we can bring the fullness of God who brings with him all security, who brings, like if we walk into a room bringing the fullness of God, we're freed up to see and love other people. Mm. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to HopeRestored.com today. I'm here asking people to define the word appreciate. It's like when something goes up in value. It's telling someone they did a good job. 
Focus on the Family invites you to give a gift that appreciates when you give a non-cash gift of stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. You'll avoid a capital gains tax, get a deduction, and help families thrive for generations to come. Find out more about non-cash gifts. Just visit FocusPlannedGiving.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. And Lisa, I'm identifying with you because just a couple of weeks ago, I got all the way through security. I got to my gate and I realized I left my laptop on a conference room table at a hotel. Mm. And it's so easy to beat myself up for that. Um, Where in scripture are you seeing that God doesn't join me in beating me up for that kind of stupidity or forgetfulness. I mean, it, there's there's encouragement in the scripture. Or how about for your 13-year-old? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think the entirety of God's message to us in scripture, one of my favorite places to turn, though, is Psalms, where, you know, we are reassured over and over and over. Uh, many of the Psalms were written by David, who happens to be hmm. very featured in my book, Uninvited, because if you look at one of the first stories we ever hear about David, it's when his father, Jesse, was asked by the prophet Samuel to invite all of his sons to come and stand before him. And from his sons, from his group of family, that uh, Samuel would anoint the next king. And Jesse invited in all of his sons except David. So when David pins so many of the Psalms, he's so brutally honest in how he feels about his circumstance, but he calls things to mind. And one of the biggest things that he calls to mind is not the rejections of his past, but the love of God who is very, very present. Mm -hmm. So for me, a lot of times when I'm feeling those desperate feelings of being rejected or being left out or feeling lonely, I open up the Psalms, especially the ones penned by David, and I let the reality of his honesty seep deep into my heart and watch how he turns from feeling rejected to feeling completely loved and accepted by God. Lisa, let me ask you this. That self-rejection occurs, and you've described that adequately in the the way we beat ourselves up with negative self-talk. There's also the rejection from another person Mm -hmm. that's real. Mm -hmm. You know, the friend that used to be a friend, but for some reason they don't return the calls anymore or whatever it might be. How do you counsel a person to manage that when it's real, it's formidable, and there's something that you've done that has pushed somebody away, and you don't even know what it is, maybe? Right. Well, I wrote in the book, Rejection Steals the Best of Who I Am by Reinforcing the Worst That's Been Said to Me. So what often happens is when someone has given you a line of rejection, so they have said to you, Jim, um, you're not cool enough to be my friend. Or a girl in high school maybe said to you one time the famous line like, Jim, I think you're amazing. You're just not amazing for me. (laughs) How'd you know that happened? (laughs) (laughs) It's happened to so many of us, right? Or uh, whatever, you know, I mean, I I once had a guy in high school who I was just crazy about 
say, Lisa, you're a great friend, but I can't ever imagine you really being my girlfriend. And you liked the guy. Yeah, and I liked him. And Mm. so at the core of all of that is basically someone else saying, you're not good enough for me. Okay, so that is a line, L-I-N-E. That's a statement that they made, a line that they spoke into your life. Well, what happens is that line then eventually in your life, if it sinks in, and often those lines of rejection go straight to the core of who we are. It's more than an emotion we feel in the moment. It becomes something that goes from a line or a statement that they said to a lie we start to believe about ourselves. Mm. Then that lie that we believe about ourselves becomes a liability in every other relationship that we're in, including our relationship with God. Right. And you're talking from experience because you touched on it a moment ago, but you mentioned uh, your you know, tough relationship with your father. Mm-hmm. Describe that and how that sets you on a certain path. Well, my dad had his own issues of brokenness. And, you know, I can look back now and see that. But as a child, I didn't understand that it had his lack of love for me. I didn't understand as a child. It had a lot more to do with him, a lot less to do with with me. Describe the the environment so we can catch it. Because a lot of people will share that environment with you. Right. So one of my earliest memories of my dad is being about eight years old, and uh, my mom had gotten me a new dress for Easter. I put it on, and it was rare for us to have money to buy a store-bought dress, so it was really special to me. So I put this dress on, and I felt so pretty. And I thought, I think that tonight is the night that my daddy will actually notice me. So I you remember out. that. Oh, I remember it vividly. I wow. walk out into the den. My dad was sitting in a recliner chair. He had a beer in one hand. He had a TV remote in his other hand. He was watching something on the TV. And I went and stood beside his chair. And my heart was just beating so fast, like, Daddy, please notice me. Oh. Daddy, tell me I'm beautiful. Daddy, tell me that you love me. And he never looked my way. So I did what any little girl would do to try to get attention in that moment. I started to twirl around and around and around. And as my dress was flowing out, my heart was just crying out, Daddy, please look at me. And um, he never looked at me. He never said anything that night. It didn't matter how many times I twirled around. You see, he was present physically, but he was absent emotionally. Right. And to a little girl, when a man is physically present but emotionally absent, it creates a deep, hollow feeling inside of her heart that creates almost this desperate feeling of, I've got to find someone to tell me that I'm beautiful, that I'm noticed, and that I'm loved. And so for me, it set me on this path where I was so desperate to hear those words from a man, since I never heard them from my dad, that it kind of put me in this place of of grabbing for scraps of love from other people. Huh. And um, and we if we don't grasp the love of God in that hollow feeling, then we will always grab at scraps of love from other people. Well, and, and they're never satisfying. And never satisfying. Lisa, can I um, press you a little bit in an area that some people might be thinking? And it may be temperament. I'm not even sure. But... Um, can we really blame it just on our environment and our circumstances? Um, can you be a little tougher? I don't want to sound mean-spirited, but some mm-hmm. people who may not have that sensitivity don't even understand it. And I think for a large part, males are less oriented mm-hmm. to really grabbing the impact of what happens in childhood, those things that you don't get emotionally, spiritually, 
the love that you don't feel. Uh, we don't have as much capacity, I think, and I'm being very generic, to understand it. I think women feel it far deeper and get it far better than men. And that may be why it has such a long impact on a little girl who becomes a woman who's mm-hmm. looking for those scraps, as you described it. Yeah, and I would say that uh, the gift to a woman who feels the pain a little bit deeper is when we feel the pain, we are much more motivated to heal the pain. You see, I think guys feel the pain too. It's just that we're, I don't we think that, it or? yeah, I think that guys can um, fill it up temporarily with success, with performance, with um, surface relationships, but there will come a time in your life mm. uh, for every man where if you ever hear from your wife, I really wish you would be more tender with me. And I think a lot of guys hear this from their wife. What they're really, really, what the wife is really saying is, I wish you would open up the deep places of your heart to me. I wish you would bring your brokenness and vulnerability. Like if your wife ever says that to you, Jim, then what she's really saying is, Jim, you've got a broken place deep down in your heart. And I wish you would come to me and say, I'm afraid. I wish you would come Mm -hmm. to me and say, I'm heartbroken over something. I wish you would come to me and bring those vulnerable parts to your heart. Because I believe that every person, male or female, experiences rejection as a little person and wrestles with it the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And if we don't allow those deep recesses of our heart to be open to the healing of God, then we're going to create surface relationships that don't ever get to that deep heart center place. And every woman longs for her husband to get there. Yeah. Um, Lisa, that is such profound and deep stuff you're talking about. And we are at the end of the program and uh, we're going to continue the conversation. But if this has touched your heart, um, Lisa has shared so openly about her own past, her own vulnerabilities And maybe that's triggered uh, something in you, and you uh, need someone to talk to. If that's the case, uh, we have caring Christian counselors who are here. Um, Sometimes uh, the call volume is high. Leave a message, and they will get back to you. Don't sit in isolation. Uh, There's nothing you're going to share with us that we haven't heard. It's rare because we've been at it for almost 40 years, and these folks know what they're talking about. And I hope you will contact us and allow us to put a resource in your hand. It might be Lisa's book. It may be other resources too. But we want you to call us if you're struggling with rejection and loneliness and you feel uninvited. And that phone consultation begins uh, with a call to 800-A-FAMILY, 800, the letter A, and the word family. Uh, Lisa, I obviously want to say thanks for being here today, but I'm going to give you overnight to think about this question starting tomorrow, and we're going to start right here, and that is, given all the pain, given the rejection, why does God allow us to go through this? What is the purpose? So you think about it, and we'll start the program with your answer next time. Can we do it? Sounds good, yes. Okay. And we'd encourage you to get that book by Lisa Turkhurst. It's called Uninvited, Living Loved When You Feel Less Than, Left Out, and Lonely. And we've got copies at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. 
On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. I believe that every person, male or female, experiences rejection as a little person and wrestles with it the rest of their life. And if we don't allow those deep recesses of our heart to be open to the healing of God, then we're going to create surface relationships that don't ever get to that deep heart center place. Lisa Turkhurst was our guest on the last Focus on the Family, describing what rejection feels like. And she has more insights and really great advice for you today on Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. Uh, John, last time we had a what I would say is a great discussion. Lisa has so much wisdom uh, beyond her years, really, and she's so well-connected with so many people through social media. Uh, she's a speaker, an author, and she just has a way of creating communication that opens people's up. It opens up our souls to think about where we're at with the Lord, and that is a good gift. And that's our hope for you today as you listen along. Um, we want you to get in touch with those parts of your heart that maybe the Lord's been knocking on the door, saying, open up, I want to help. Ephesians 3.18 tells us, grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for you. And that's coming through loud and clear from Lisa last time, and I know it will today, as we talk about her book, Uninvited, and she reminds all of us that the love of God cannot be taken from us. And Lisa, let me welcome you back to Focus on the Family. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I was listening to the introduction, and I was thinking, oh, I never wanted to be the poster child for rejection, but here we go. <laughs> well, I love what you said last time, because your book is titled Uninvited, and you, you want people, once they read the book, to take the marker and mark out un and be invited. That's right. And I think that's a beautiful way to describe it, because you're trying to help people understand their position in Christ. And it's hard for us because we go through years of rejection in different ways as children. Mm -hmm. You talked about last time uh, the rejection you felt from your dad who never really noticed you, the little girl dancing in the rare dress that they had bought for you because money was tight, and that feeling that I'm beautiful but my daddy's not noticing me. Mm -hmm. Man, I could feel that. Um, even as a boy, I had the mitt that was never delivered. You know, my mm -hmm. dad made a promise when I was seven that on my birthday he'd bring me a mitt, and he and my mom had already divorced. And I looked up and down that road every 15 minutes for my dad, and he just never showed up. And what was worse is I told my best friend that he was coming with oh. it, and he walked to the curb with me every time. And I had to swallow that pride and I guess just assume I'm not good enough, mm -hmm. that my dad didn't even think about my birthday. Mm -hmm. That really hurt. Yeah. And uh, it carries itself forward. I think I'm overcorrecting it now with my two, <laughs> my two boys because I, I tell them if I make a promise, I'm committed to that mm -hmm. promise. And it's directly related to that incident. Mm -hmm. But I love that you have taken 
that incident and instead of burying it and saying, no, 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 you know, I never felt that way as a kid, you know, which is sometimes the response that we have. We don't we don't really want to deal with the rejection of our past. So we just stuff it so far down that we kind of lie to ourselves and we hear the word rejection. And we think, oh, yeah, that applies to other people, but it doesn't really apply to me. The reality is rejection touches us all because the sensitivity of rejection, it's either that fear of being abandoned or the fear of losing one's identity. And in your case, Jim, it was both. Your dad didn't show up and you wanted to be the son who was thought of. Like that was Mm. part of your identity. Like you wanted to be his son who he was so proud of. He wouldn't fathom not showing up without that mitt, right? And uh, so in that situation, it tapped into both. The fear of being abandoned, the fear of losing your identity, But here's the great thing that you've done. You have acknowledged, yes, that caused me a lot of pain. And I could see the tears in your eyes even now, you know, as you talk about that. But you have taken it and you have let it work for your good so that you are becoming the kind of father that you always wished that your dad Mm. would have been. And yeah, you could take it to an extreme and, you know, Satan would love for you to beat yourself up. Like, you know, the reason you overcorrect with your kids, you know, (laughs) that's what the enemy wants you to believe. It's like, no, you need to look at the enemy and say, no, I'm becoming the kind of father that I wish my dad would have been instead of wallowing in the pain of what he wasn't and becoming just like him. I'm letting it work Mm. for my good. Well, I appreciate that. I feel it. And we left off last time with that big question, why God? Mm -hmm. I mean, why do we go through these things? Why the pain? Uh, What's the purpose? And as you just said, we all to some degree go through it. Rich, poor, black, white, it doesn't matter. Those things do not matter. It happens to all of us. So that is the question. Why does God allow it? Yeah, that is a deep question that we could wrestle with for days. And I don't want to appear like, oh, I'm the expert who has all the answers because I truly believe God doesn't want to be explained away with <laughs> this question. Good. He wants to be invited in, you know? Mm. he. I, I really feel like one of the things that could be happening when God allows us, now he doesn't cause the pain of rejection, but he allows us sometimes to go through this, is to show us that we Unlike people, sometimes with people, we have to earn their love. We have to earn their respect. We have to earn their, you know, their um, acknowledgement of us. But God doesn't operate that way. You know, we don't earn God's love. God's love isn't based on me. It's simply placed on me. And it's the place from which I should live. And I think when we're in the pit of those feelings of rejection, that's the greatest opportunity to shame Satan back to hell and to say, you know what? I have nothing to offer. I can't perform right now. I am feeling lower than I've ever felt before. But my God loves me. And it's not based on me. It's simply placed on me by God himself. Lisa, um, you talked about your story and that rejection from your father and how that led to scraps, as you described. That's a beautiful word. You know, it's a hard word, but that you were looking for scraps that other boys, teenage boys and, you know, college boys. In fact, that led to some devastating circumstances for you. Mm -hmm. Um, If I could pry into that a bit, because I can't imagine how you carried that guilt with the consequence of your decisions. Yes. Describe it. Well, you know, I think any time a girl longs for 
love that she wasn't given from the assurances and adoration of her father, um, many girls can turn to trying to find that affection from guys. And so, yeah, I did find boys that would say that they love me and boys that would give me the affection that I missed out on my father. But I also found out that I was pregnant and I was devastated. I was alone. How old were you? I was in my early 20s. And um, my mom had just suffered the trauma of losing um, a child. One of my sisters passed away in a very tragic way. And so normally I would have gone to my mom and asked her to help me in that situation. But she was so overwhelmed with grief that I just, I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to. Uh And so I went to an abortion clinic out of desperation. And really what I asked them for was help. And what they gave me was a lie. And they said, you know, the test is positive, but you really shouldn't consider yourself pregnant. So we can take care of this problem quick and easy, and you'll never think about it again. Wow, think of that line. Yeah. The test is positive, but you're really not pregnant. What does that even mean? I mean, that's... But you went through with it. Yeah, they said it was cells dividing. It wasn't a real baby. And so, you know, the in my desperation, I... I bought that lie and I had an abortion and um, it sent me to the deepest, darkest pit that I've ever been in. Uh, People interacting with me in everyday life wouldn't have known it. Like I was still able to function. I have enough gumption in me to like get up and paint a smile on my face and do my job. You know, I'm a highly responsible person. But at night I would come home, lay on my couch and cry every single night and felt like I was sinking into a pit I wasn't sure I was ever, mm. ever able to get out of. I, that is such an insightful description because all of us, it's kind of like walking wounded, right? Yes. We can function, but then we're desperate inside, yeah. the way you describe that. So many women, Lisa, and men too, have gone through that very tragedy where they chose abortion over life. Mm-hmm. And they can't feel that God could ever forgive them. Mm -hmm. That guilt is so heavy. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that woman listening right now who has never been able to free herself Mm -hmm. of that guilt and that shame Mm -hmm. uh, that she took the life of her baby? Yeah, well, that's why I think it's important for me to share my story is because I'm able to give this gift to any person who has done something that they feel like is beyond the reach of God. It's not just an abortion, although that's, that is a horrific thing that a woman has to wrestle with if she's made that decision. But it's for the man who, who has had an affair. It's for the father who walked away from his kids 10 years ago and wakes up one day and realizes what he's lost. It's, it's for the businessman who's cheated for years and is now coming face to face with his own depravity. You know, it's when we reach the end of ourselves. And my message to them is, me too. I understand. And, you know, I think if more of us were honest and Amen. and more of us would stand up and admit our own depravity, you know, our own brokenness yeah. and dare to go first and say those words like, me too. I understand. Like, yeah. I get exactly where you are. Yeah. And, and I want to say I have suffered through, I have wrestled through those deep feelings of not only being you know, rejected from from people that led me to make that decision, you know, but feeling like 
this might be the thing that causes God to reject me. I have wrestled with that. And I can say with all certainty that God loves me. He has forgiven me. And if he could forgive me, he can certainly forgive you. Like, I know what you're dealing with. And I'm standing here saying God's love isn't based on you. It isn't based on you. It's simply placed on you. And it's the place from which we must live loved, loved. We are loved by God, period. No question marks. You know what I often, uh, boy, I appreciate the way you're sharing that. And what I often say to someone who's struggling with belief in God, belief in Christ, is um, why wouldn't you embrace what Jesus has said and done for you? I mean, there's there's only that opportunity. It's amazing that God himself is such a gentleman in that way. He's not going to force you to choose him. He's going to say, choose, life or death. And Jesus in front of Pontius Pilate saying, I came to testify to the truth. And Lisa, what you're sharing is raw truth that me too. None of us are perfect. None of us are sinless. Mm -hmm. And the more the church can embrace that, I have no idea why we want to try to project perfection. Because at the base of that is pride. Mm -hmm. It really is, everybody. And when you're more vulnerable, that's what the Lord said. He will be lifted up Mm -hmm. in your weakness, not in your strength. And for us to be able to talk that way, I think the world would see an entirely different and more godly perspective in us as believers if we were more vulnerable with who we really are, not what we pretend to be. So I appreciate that. We have really heard from the heart, and there's more to come in this program. Uh, Let me just say that Lisa's book is called Uninvited, and uh, we have that here at Focus on the Family. And also, our counseling team um, would count it an honor to offer an initial consultation to you to help you right where you're at. And uh, we're here to help, no matter what rejection you might be feeling today. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Or you'll find the book by Lisa Turkhurst and other resources at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Your marriage has 12 essential traits, and the Focus on Marriage Assessment is designed to evaluate those traits and help you build a relationship that thrives. It's free and only takes about 10 minutes to complete. Based on the research and experience of Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley, this assessment will help you and your spouse discover areas that are working well and things that could use improvement, like communication, conflict, and commitment. Go to FocusOnTheFamily.com assessment to get started. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com assessment. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Lisa, you mentioned something in the book which I think could be the takeaway phrase uh, from the broadcast last time and this time, and that's lived loved. At first when you hear it, you're going, what? What is that? Lived 
loved. Explain it, and then let's uh, talk about it. Well, and let's make it present, like live loved today, you know? So in other words, approach today with the assurance that God loves me. I don't have to feel it. Um, I don't even have to think I deserve it, but it is real. And so I can take that truth. I am loved by God. There's nothing I can do to make him love me more. And his forgiveness and and his grace is so vast that there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. And that is so hard for our human brains to wrap around. So instead of trying to explain it away or instead of trying to understand it, just state it, believe it. And every time that we hear a lie today, speak back to those lies. In, In counseling terms, it's called the corrective experience. So when you hear a lie, correct it with the truth. That's not parenting. That's not parenting. <laughs> it, it, it can parenting be parenting yourself, too. Actually. Yeah, but it, it's it's really taking responsibility to make your brain and your heart live in a place of truth and not live in wallowing in the lies. And so I would say set the tone for your day to live loved first thing in the morning by uh, making the genesis thought of your day. I live loved. God loves me. That needs to be the genesis thought of every single day. So that becomes the filter through which you process life. And uh, it's interesting. Neuroscience has come out with some research that says when we sleep at night, baby neurons are formed. And when we wake up in the morning, how we use those baby neurons first thing will determine so much about the patterns of thought Uh. that we carry throughout our day. And the process from a scientific standpoint, the scientific name is called neurogenesis. So I find that completely fascinating and yet not surprising at all. God wants our genesis thoughts to be every day. I am loved by God. That is the filter through which I'm going to process life. And if we do that, it will change the way we think that entire day. Ah, That's fantastic. I love that thought as well. Uh, You talk about Abigail, and I want to work uh, that story in because Abigail is a great figure in this regard uh, and what you're talking about. Fill us in on what you saw and discerned there with Abigail's story. I wish Abigail was talked about more in Scripture, but in... uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25, we find this fascinating story of Abigail, uh, who is married to a very harsh man. It says in the scriptures, so harsh that no one can even talk to him. His name, (laughs) the Hebrew pronunciation of his name is Naval. Now, some women just said, oh, that's my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope not. (laughs) But, But yeah, you know, she's in, I think a lot of us can identify with Abigail because the reality of her life, she has some very difficult circumstances. She has um, busyness. It's about to be festival time. So, you know, girl has been making her target list, her Hobby Lobby (laughs) list. I mean, so I can identify with that. And she has some brokenness as a result of being married to someone who's very harsh. And if he's harsh with other people, you have to discern that he's probably harsh at home as well. Mm. So Abigail wakes up one day and realizes through a message that she gets from one of her servants that her husband has completely dishonored David. David had done Naval a great favor by going out and protecting his flocks, and now it's about to be festival time. So David has asked Naval for some festival food to give to the men with him, and Naval dishonors David so much. And not only 
rejects his request, but reminds David. He There's this little line in the scripture that says, who are you? Who is the son of Jesse? Which, of course, I would say taps right into that feeling that David had of being rejected from his father when his father didn't bring him in to be considered his by trigger. Samuel. Yeah, <laughs> to be considered by Samuel, to be anointed the king. So he is triggered. So David doesn't just walk away and call Naval a jerk and like that that be that. He has an out of proportion response because this is compounded rejection. And yes, Naval has said no to the food, but even more than that, he has made David feel less than. And so Abigail gets this message from one of her servants that David is going to kill all of the men in her household. So Abigail rises up and becomes this amazing woman who doesn't stay stuck in the reality of of how hard her life is, but she decides that she's going to rise up and do something about it. So she goes to talk to David. She prepares a banquet for 600 men and loads it up on donkeys, doesn't tell her husband because she knows that it's for his greater good that she doesn't tell him. And uh, she goes and has this conversation with David. And this conversation that Abigail has with David, I believe, is one of the most profound, epic speeches given by any person in the Bible, and it's given by this woman, Abigail. So I unpack it in the book to help people see that the way Abigail speaks to David is actually serving David, not just this food, but is serving him a great gift of her honoring him and yet helping him see that the path you're about to march is not in keeping with your destiny. You, David, are about to derail your entire destiny because you're stepping outside of the will of God. But the way she speaks to David is so honoring and so lovely and so courageous and so full of humility that she changes the course of David's life. And I think David never, ever forgets the conversation he has with Abigail. And you know, you look at that, what's so instructive about that, that's also God's character. Mm -hmm. And God formed us. God created us. He knows how the human heart, the emotions work. And when you use his character, it triggers something in the other person that is hopefully, not always, hopefully godly as well. Their hearts crack Mm. when you're showing love and respect and humility. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, Man, Lisa, I could just sit here all day and talk to you because it's so much fun and so insightful. You also mentioned 10 things you must remember when rejected. I read this and we'll post this if we can on the website, but pick a couple of them um, to highlight. And again, we'll post these at the Focus on the Family website. Yeah, well, I think I wrote this chapter specifically for parents because I really know that if a parent has never dealt with their own rejection, it's really hard to help their kids when they go through seasons of rejection. So I really want this to be a tool that parents can use to help their kids, but also to remember themselves. But one of those is don't bash, trash, or hash your rejection on social media or on the internet because the internet never forgets. It's always there. It's always there. And don't invite the public into your private pain by bashing the person that's rejected. That's not going to make things better. It's going to make things worse. Or rehashing the rejection. That's just going to make you feel a sense of shame in an even more public way. Um, And so I think that's a really important thing because – 
teenagers especially love to talk about makeups and breakups and hiccups and all in between on social media. So I think helping them have private space to deal with their pain is really important. Uh, Let me grab this one because for me, this is big for one of my boys. But rejection doesn't label you. It enables you to adjust and move on. Mm -hmm. That is so powerful if parents and young people can get a hold of that. It really is because I think one of the greatest things that we can help foster within our kids is a sense of self-awareness. We would all be much healthier adults if we had more self-awareness. And it's not self-focus, but it's just becoming aware that, yeah, you know, sometimes when we experience a rejection, it has a lot to do with the other person's selfishness sometimes. But then there's also this little part that maybe we did some things to add to that person's desire to reject us. And so if we can become more self-aware, then we can become more mature. And if we become more mature, we become more wise. And so let this rejection be a gift in disguise to you. Mm. Lisa, uh, this has been for me, I mean, very enlightening and very engaging. So thank you so much for your insights. And again, um, I hope our conversation the last couple of days has uh, pricked your heart in a way that says, okay, maybe I've got some room to grow. Maybe there are some things I need to learn about myself. Um, That is purposeful. Uh, That is one of the things we want to do here at Focus on the Family is to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. If that has happened and you're wondering, now what do I do as I'm bleeding all over the floor? Call our counselors. We are here. We have uh, talented, uh, gifted Christian counselors who can talk with you, who can help you with perspective. We have a whole host of resources, including Lisa's book, that will give you additional perspective. And I hope you will take advantage of that. Um, Let me also say, you know, in the last 12 months, we've had about 50,000 calls go through the counseling department. And that's about 20, 22 people that are just going at it all day long. And I so appreciate their uh, efforts in that regard. But we need your support to be able to make that happen. You know, this place just sits as an empty building if we don't have the fuel for the engine. So let me encourage you to make a gift today. I think it's $30 that allows us to help somebody um, very tangibly. You want to help a marriage? You want to help strengthen a marriage, keep a marriage together? $30 is what it takes to do that here at Focus on the Family. I think it's one of the best investments in ministry. Um, In fact, let me uh, read you a listener comment that we received uh, not long ago. She said, I listened to the Focus on the Family broadcast following an abrupt into a five-year relationship, an incident that left me feeling weak and depressed. Really what you're talking about, Lisa. During those dark days, I tuned in to focus on the family on a regular basis and eventually called to speak with a counselor to receive help. And that conversation helped me immensely. I've been living the Christian life ever since. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And Lisa, let me say as the host of the program, Thank you and all the other guests. Thank you for coming on and opening up your heart in that way. It is profound. Well, thank you. It's such an honor to be here with you. Well, we're so glad to have had uh, Lisa on the broadcast. And if you'd like to follow up and uh, request a free phone consultation with one of our caring Christian counselors or learn more about Lisa's book, Uninvited, 
or donate to the ministry. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. You'll also find uh, these and other great resources at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.